Hi, welcome to the final episode of the BCP Cast Season 3. We've learned a lot from our guests this season through their stories, trials and tribulations. So we thought it would be useful to find out how they've managed to succeed in the profession of business continuity. How do you start? What's the skills you need to develop? What can you do to make yourself stand out? And what makes the job worthwhile? I started by asking some of our guests how their journeys into business continuity began. Thomas Kroll works at Tesco Bank and has enjoyed a career spanning finance, the civil service and even the London Olympics. I got interested in disasters. Not for the interest of bad things happening, but for the interest of how they impact society because they're complex and they impact every aspect of society. So I studied as a geographer and my initial study was uh, looking at it from a kind of an earth sciences perspective and I started looking at you know, big winter storm events that hit certain parts of the US where I was living at the time and I was also uh, had a job with an insurance company so I started to learn about the concept of risk and one of the things I uh, came across uh, very early was catastrophe modelling so how do you do the economic modelling of these major catastrophes like Hurricane Katrina uh, what does it mean to society what, how do you put a dollar value on that for an insurance company to price it but to be honest I'm not a numbers man <laughs> So uh, I decided to steer away from that, but was still interested in the the concepts. So came across emergency management and business continuity came up in my Google searches. I think Google was quite young at that point and uh, then started to curate my, my own personal learnings towards business continuity. And I remember very early on asking one of my bosses at the time, one of my first jobs, what is it about business continuity that he liked? And I have to agree with what he said. Business continuity is not one single job. There's never one single answer. You need to be able to work horizontally and laterally across an organization, understanding all the different parts of it. So if you're in marketing, you just work in marketing and doing communications type stuff. You never get into operations. Maybe you have to have a peripheral knowledge of operations, but you never do operations business continuity, you've got to touch upon every part of the organisation and understand how it interacts. And you've got to be able to do it from the shop floor level and at the executive suite and be able to communicate on those levels. So it's a very diverse job and there's never one single answer to how you could solve a business continuity challenge. Sometimes there's never even a perfect answer. So what is the lesser evil of five different approaches we could take if this incident hits? And that's a discussion to be had with, with your management team. So it makes it interesting. What stands out to me is the variety that comes with a career in business continuity. This isn't a case of putting some numbers into a spreadsheet and getting an answer. You need to have a curiosity about how things work across a business and figure out a way to tie them all together. This is also what first hooked Tonya York, who has worked in business continuity in the States for 20 years. I'd been working at U.S. Bank and Information Services, and I saw this posting for a contingency planning analyst position. And I've been in the industry ever since. I'm a problem solver, which is really synergistic with contingency planning. And what motivates me is that if we do our job well, we improve the operational excellence of our organization. The contingency planning program can really not be better than production. And through planning and exercise, we can focus on what needs to be improved eliminated, redesigned. The most important part of advising organizations is to be clear you understand 
the corporate culture and priorities and align the program with those. We touched on this in the first episode of the season. Working to understand a business and its culture. In other words, understand the people who work there. You might assume that continuity planning involves sitting in an office all day, pushing chess pieces around. In reality, it's about getting to know people and helping them get better. Being curious about how and why people do things is key to a successful career in business continuity. This is what attracted Jessica Barker into the world of resilience and cybersecurity. So if I look back to, you know, when I was at school, when I was uh, at university, my first few jobs, nothing to do with cybersecurity and I would never have thought I would work in this industry. Um, I was interested in human behavior, you know, how we can influence behavior and awareness and culture and why people do the things they do. And I've always been interested in, in technology uh, with the internet kind of coming along in my early teenage years. But as I say, I never thought I would work in cybersecurity. I was one of those people that thought it was really technical. And then I was headhunted for a cybersecurity firm. I was finishing my PhD, which was kind of looking at the growth of the internet economy and the influence that has had on us socially. And they suggested that the kind of work I was doing could be applied to cybersecurity. So I googled, what is cybersecurity? <laughs> and uh, I thought, this is interesting. Read a lot about it, you know, did some training and eventually took the job. And then it took a year or so before things like fully fell into place and I realized humans have such a role in cybersecurity and psychology and sociology and communication and human behavior is really fundamental to it as a subject. Paul Kirvin is a consultant in the US. He relishes getting to grips with how a business works and then tailoring plans to protect what makes that business unique. The work provides an opportunity to learn how a client operates, which I always kind of find fascinating, but more importantly, where their potential risks might be. And I like to help them prepare a plan that responds to and recovers from an incident. My whole basic modus operandi is to, as I like to put it, help businesses stay in business. And that's sort of been my, my mantra, if you will, over, over the years uh, with my practice. We've heard about some of the things that make business continuity a challenging but rewarding field to work in. And just like in life, it's those that do extra who go further. To get a better understanding of her colleagues and share new ideas, Tonya ran a special kind of event. Um, really the objective of an innovation tournament is to get people to um, create new ideas just in a very structured format. When I was at McKesson, the um, executive leadership was put through a week-long course through Wharton Business School, and uh, we conducted an innovation tournament. For many companies, many, many companies, innovation is really important in terms of being able to change and adapt and grow your organization. And for many people in, in organizations, that's not a natural kind of uh, strength. So the innovation tournaments really put a structure around it and the objective is to get as many ideas as you can um, to increase the probability of getting great ideas. When I was with McKesson, after I'd been put through the training, then I did it with my team to come up with ideas on how we could challenge the existing standards in our business continuity program. Um, and I got a lot of great input from my employees and engagement because it was their ideas. 
Um, and so when this conference came about, I thought, wouldn't it be fun to engage more of my peers and really get their view? We sometimes get wrapped up in our own problems and try to set off alone. Tonya taps into the resources she has all around her to not only improve her own knowledge, but to create better solutions that can help others. Jessica never loses sight of the fact that she is helping individuals. Yeah, we're certainly seeing people ask more questions about cybersecurity, both in work but also at home. So in my organisation, we do loads of awareness raising training. Um, what we find every single time we're delivering face-to-face training is people will come up and ask questions about their personal life, which is great because it shows they are engaged. And, and honestly, what's great for me as a professional is not just protecting organisations, but knowing that that is going to ripple out and that is going to protect families more, people's parents, people's kids, their friends, because that's right for individuals, but also that helps, you know, herd immunisation, that helps protect all of us more. So we... We see people asking questions of us about their kids' use of technology, about helping their parents understand some of this stuff, because there's not many other places to go. You know, when you've got a big company, there's an IT team that will help you professionally, but people sometimes don't know where to go with their questions for their personal stuff. There's online resources, but it's great when they can ask a question of someone, a familiar face or a face that they trust. You can tell Jessica cares about her clients. When working for a large corporation, we can inadvertently dehumanise those around us if you think of the business as just numbers and symbols. Jana Detoni, who runs her own business consultancy, believes people must be front of mind when planning for resiliency. Well, I think uh, the, this discipline uh, falls under the ethical security, if you wish, because we have physical security, which is... Uh, very much uh, related to defending your company with, uh, you know, fire alarm, sprinklers, badges, video surveillance. Uh, you have the logical security, which is very much information security, computer-based, very technical, building firewalls against uh, hacker attacks, etc. And uh, there is ethical security, which is um, related to the fact that if you're not resilient, your business will not continue. And the fact that the business doesn't continue doesn't just affect the profit part. But in reality, if the business doesn't continue, it affects the life of people. It affects you have a responsibility for your staff and for their families that count on a job. And business continuity provides the sustainability of the business. And if you change the mentality, you will change your mentality also when you when you do the business, because the big crisis we had in 2008, for example, was due to the fact that people were earning a trillion of dollars for six months, but then the next year they would, you know, lose twice as much. So sustainability of the business means that you have a mentality that your business should be sustained not this year, but for 10 years. That's what we want from managers, not to look at today, but look at in 10 years, they, they need to have a vision to sustain the business. This is resilience, basically. Like Jessica, Jana doesn't forget who we're really here to help. When we help businesses continue, we protect jobs, families, livelihoods. And as Thomas said at the beginning, your work is preventing possibly devastating events from happening. Again, you're helping people, sometimes without them even knowing it. Paul, like Tonya, believes in keeping up to date and constantly topping up his knowledge to make sure he stays ahead of the curve. 
There's a couple different resources. I mean, at, at this point in my career, I've, in many ways, I, I've kind of done it all, but I'm not that naive that I think I know it all and I can't learn more. I keep a close eye on what the Business Continuity Institute is doing because I've been involved in it since it started up in 1994. So uh, I'm, I'm still actively involved in the Institute. Uh, I keep an eye on what goes on in terms of what their initiatives are. I'm, I'm, I'm involved with a, a major initiative right now. And I also I get regular emails from Continuity Central, which is a major source of uh, information for the profession. Uh, there's a the a BCI website, the the DRI International website. I look at those periodically to you know just get a, get a sense of what's actually happening. And frankly, a lot of a lot of the insight I get is from my clients, what they're doing, and they'll tell me what some of their friends and colleagues are doing. So I, I'm able to get kind of a a fairly broad view of what's happening and what's working, what's not working, that kind of a thing in the profession that way. There's always something more you could be doing, either to build your own knowledge or help someone else build theirs. If there's no obvious opportunity, make one. Kate Needham-Bennett, who works in business continuity for MasterCard, talks about the importance of keeping an ear to the ground to best prepare yourself and stay up to date. I would say that anyone who's working in this industry um, should be looking at high-profile cases of any other companies. You can always learn from what another company has been through. Uh, there will always be other similar ones going through something at any given time. You can learn the mistakes from them. Some of them you still won't be able to fix, but or they won't be relative to you. But yeah, it always pays off to actually look at what's going on, keep an idea of what initiatives other people are doing and seeing what they did really well and how you can mimic that and yeah seeing what didn't go so well and trying to check that you don't have a similar sort of structure or plan in place. If I can actually say something about this it's a I think that the best experience is when you experiencing a crisis you learn a lot from your scars and from what you have done and there are people that don't even capture that kind of lessons learned and that's criminal in my opinion but the privilege is really to learn from um, what happened to others so if anybody else in your sector in your industry in your market but even in another city you know whenever something happens and we open the newspaper every day something happens everywhere you know you you capture the lessons to be learned if it happened to me if it happened to my company that's the privilege you haven't been impacted but you still think would I be prepared? Because we have to kill this um, conviction that nothing will ever happen to me. You know, these things happen to others. And this is the big obstacle of good resilience when people are sort of superstition. You know, I don't want to think about it because if I think too much about it, it happens to me. <laughs> it's, uh, we have to, you know, overcome that. It's human nature to assume bad things that happen to others won't happen to us. Don't get me wrong. We're still glad it hasn't happened to us. Maybe even enjoy a little bit of schadenfreude. Jana warns against this. Learn to use others' mistakes as a springboard for your own learnings, without having to pay the price they did. And something else that kept coming up was the importance of communication. And not just communicating regularly, but in the right way. We like to berate meetings. You know, I hear people saying, oh, I waste so much time in meetings. Maybe we don't know how to have high-quality meetings, but 
the other comment that people say is that communication, 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 personal relationships. So we shouldn't forget that actually, if you're going to make a difference, it's a, it's with individuals. It's you know one-to-one interactions, high-quality meetings, not just pushing out policy documents requiring tick box responses but actually trying to work as a team whether it be within the business continuity function of the organization or the business continuity function trying to engage in a meaningful way within the different business departments. Thomas echoes a lot of what we've heard already how key it is to engage people and to have the tools to get different responses from different people. Before Russ Paramore looked after resilience for South Yorkshire Fire and Rescue he had 20 years in the police service here are some of the most valuable skills he feels he acquired over that time. It's quite a difficult one because over 30 years you gain an awful lot of skills. So, I mean, a lot of the things are, are transferable. So your leadership and management skills, communication skills, uh, all that sort of thing, they're all transferable into other jobs. It's uh, the sort of the training aspects and things like that. I was a, I was a tutor, a mentor, and 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 a coach. Uh, you know, for for probably fourteen years, and then just continued to do things like that once I came into the fire service. So do you bring the experiences and you bring the the qualifications that you've got over a period of time and 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 everything that you've done and and just use that to inform what you're going to do in the future. Again. Russ mentions communication, working with others, sharing learnings, all things our other experts say are key to a successful career in business continuity. It's a similar story for Paul. I had good writing skills. I had been doing a lot of uh, training work, uh, seminars and things like that. I actually kind of had to learn a little bit about how to do consultancy work because I really hadn't done much in that particular vein until I started working for companies in a consultancy capacity. So I I guess the main thing I needed to learn more about was how to run a project, how to uh, manage uh, people if need be, the right things to do as far as communicating with your clients, sort of the the whole spectrum of activities that one does uh, in a consultancy role. So that was pretty much what I had to learn in, in terms of the actual work as far as learning the learning about the business, I kind of just learned that along the way, uh, you know, working for other companies and reading and, and doing writing and uh, doing uh, training programs. Sometimes you need to run before you can walk. There are skills outside of the technical realm, soft skills that you need to move forward in your career. When Paul had these mastered, he found himself pitching to top management and the C-suite. Based on my experience and what I've learned, you know, over the years is to start as close to top management as you can possibly get and get a commitment for support and funding from senior leadership or I know top management as it's referred to over in the UK. Uh, If you can't get that level of commitment and support, anything you do is probably going to be a waste of time. You know, to help get that interest is usually not the easiest thing to do if you're just going in cold. You have to somehow make the case that an organization is probably at some level of risk for some sort of a disruptive event at some point in time. You've got to tailor the pitch to the audience. Paint a picture of your prospect's business without a resilience plan in the event of a disaster. And Paul listens as much, if not more, than he talks something we could all learn from. 
I try to get them to talk more than me. Uh, I try to ask them open-ended questions so that I can get them to tell me a little bit more about what their concerns are, how they, you know, what they think they would do if something did disrupt their operations, what they think the risks are to the organization of something actually happening, and try to get them to talk a little bit more about where their own personal concerns are. Because if you are at the top of the organization, one of your responsibilities is to make sure that the, the business stays in business. So uh, I, I, I try to get them to almost sell themselves on the idea of doing something like this. And with the years of experience and the tools I have and everything, I can also talk to these folks in terms of a sort of a, a staged kind of an approach where we can go in with something very simple and, and inexpensive to get them sort of started. And then over time, we sort of come back and take another look and see if we can maybe add some additional layers of content or do some additional training or maybe do some additional uh, exercising. So I try to come in low and slow to not threaten them with a gigantic consultancy bill and give them the opportunity to sort of get comfortable with it. And then over time, we try to see if we can't raise the bar. And so for the last time this year, thanks for listening to the BCP cast. That's a wrap for season three. I want to say a huge thank you to our contributors, without whom this podcast can't happen. Jessica Barker, Thomas Kroll, Jana Detoni, Paul Curvin, Kate Sneedham-Bennett, Russ Paramore, and Tonya York. Thank you for being such accommodating and insightful guests, and for sharing so much of your knowledge. Data Barracks and the BCP cast are so grateful for all of your contributions, and you're welcome back anytime. Thanks also to you, the listener, I hope you found some useful ideas and lessons over the last couple of months, wherever you are in your career. As always, get in touch at the BCP cast on Twitter, or let us know if you'd like to be a guest on season four. The BCP cast will be back in the not too distant future. We'll see you then.